0: May I be found in Christ. Well, the beauty of it is if you have truly given your heart to Jesus, you are in Christ, and Christ is in you. And that's what makes living the life for God's glory possible, because Jesus is in us and we are in him. I remember when I was a a young student studying to become a pastor, um a lot of funny things were said, and, and we, we thought we were all pretty smart, you know? And uh, one of the things we said about church, do you remember this, Kath? Uh, it went around. It is an awful saying. I don't want to hear this said anymore because <laughs> I learned. If it weren't for people, church would be great. <laughs> do you get the intent that was behind that? Uh, we as people, myself, most um, uh, importantly to to be authentic with you. We can be difficult to be around. You know, we all have our challenging personalities our, the way we are, and uh, it is sometimes difficult to love other people in church, and of course to love people in the world. People can be difficult, but if it weren't pe- for people, there would be no church. So that's the truth. And uh, we as young pastors and uh, Christian ed teachers were were learning some truths, and uh, I learned very quickly that that statement really wasn't funny because it was so far off. Now, I I tell you that because uh, as we are flowing through the book of John, 1 John, in this series called That You May Know, last week we looked at one of the major tests that John was saying Uh, that can help you to determine, are you really a Christian? Because there are a lot of people in the world who think they're Christians and they have their criteria. And last week, John told us very clearly, uh, you are uh, being a Christian if you are obedient to the word of God. If you're not being obedient to the word of God, you should be very concerned about your soul because obedience is tied into our faith. And then we come to today. Today we come to another level and another test. I call it the nitty-gritty of obedience to God's word. And the nitty-gritty is uh, found in this passage in 1 John. Have you got your Bibles? Let's open to 1 John chapter 2. And we're look at verse, verses 7 and 8 predominantly today. We're looking at the nitty-gritty, the most demanding practical aspect of obedience. That is our love for one another. Isn't that challenging some days, to love each other? Uh, He didn't call us to just obey his word without showing it in a practical way, relationally. Um, You know, when we look at Jesus, we see Jesus didn't just say what he wanted us to do. He did what he wanted us to do. Just like any good leader, don't just tell people what to do. You do it yourself. And Jesus did it in spades. Jesus is the ultimate example of what it means to love others. Now, you and I aren't called upon to die for other people to to save souls. That's Jesus' job. Uh, if you want to know for sure that you are going to be in the presence of God forever and ever after this life, then you need to accept what Christ has done and receive that love. Uh, And, you know, we may not be called upon to die for others as an example, just a basic example of love for others. But we are called upon to love others to show patience, self-sacrifice, Humility, because Jesus showed all of that in his loving others. And it used to be said, and it can should be continued to be said: love is a verb. Do you get that? Love is a verb. It's a word that cannot be constrained to idleness. We can't just say, I love you, without having some action. You remember when Jesus was in uh, that uh, time just before the week of fa- the Feast of Passover. He's with his disciples, and even the disciple who would betray him, Judas, was there. And he wanted to show in a tangible way that he loved his disciples. He wanted there to be no mistake. It's as if, guys, listen up. I want to show you something that says, I love you. And so what he did. He took off his outer robe and the sash, and he washed their feet. And then in that day and time, the leader of a group, the rabbi, would never have ever done that. But he did that to say, I love you. He loved them in a tangible way. And so for his disciples to get really get what he was trying to teach them, he did this. And let's just look at... John, the Gospel of John. Just turn back to Gospel of John, uh, chapter 13. Gospel of John, chapter 13. And he says, he's talking to them, he says, you call me teacher. That's the end, of, or that's verse 12. And you're right, for so I am. Then he says, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should Uh, Do just as I have done for you. Jesus said, I'm not going to just tell you what to do. I'm going to show you. And this comes directly from his heart. Um, This foot washing wasn't intended ever to be some religious event. I mean, maybe some of you have experienced foot washing services. And don't get me wrong. Those are sweet times when done with sincerity. But Jesus never intended us to, on a regular basis, get down our knees and wash people's feet. What he was really saying, in the culture of his day, this was a tangible way of really showing to his disciples, I love you with all my heart. And so we thank Jesus for that. And we who follow Jesus must do that. We must set aside our rights and serve one another out of love. And that's what he did He was the one who rightfully should have had his feet washed. But he set that aside, and he said, let me show you how much I love you. And even just a few verses forward in John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35, where it says, a a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You all also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another." It's such a powerful, powerful teaching right from Jesus. Love one another. So with that said, let me just quickly get us back to 1 John. And let me read 1 John chapter 2, verses 7 to 11. It says, Beloved, I'm writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you've heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he's going because... The darkness has blinded his eyes. Father, I pray this morning that you would help our eyes to be wide open, to see the example of Jesus, the call that Jesus has given to each one of us to love just like him, and and the reality that when we are in Christ, we have all the resources that we need to love our family, our neighbors. And even our enemies with the love of Jesus. So help us this morning to learn about the old commandment that is the new commandment. In Jesus' name, amen. So there's something really obvious here. We see that Jesus is mentioning love. If you look in verse uh, 10... Uh, where is my verse 10, whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for Whoever loves. It's the only time he mentions it in this s- s- short section. But what he does is he says that this is an old commandment and also a new commandment. Interesting. See, remember, we've been figuring out that John is dealing with an awful reality in his, in his day. The reality is that there are teachers who are saying, we've got good, better teaching than that Apostle John guy. As a matter of fact, it's new teaching that's better. And John is dealing with these Gnostics who are heretical teachers, opposing the revealed word and will of God about what is right and how to live out your life for for God. And John is teaching in hard opposition to that. He is fighting tooth and nail against it. And he's saying, we don't need new truth. We need to follow the old truth that Jesus taught us, that we learned to live out from the earliest moments that we came to Christ. That is truth. It's old. But on the other hand, John says, it's a new truth, um, that old commandment is a new commandment. And in short, he's saying to everybody, do you want to pass an essential test of what a Christian is? Then love one another. That's where he's leaving us today. Do you want to pass an essential test of demonstrating what it means to be truly a Christian? Then love one another. Like Jesus, putting others' needs before our own. And what does that really mean? How does that work itself out practically? Uh, what is a, a biblical definition of love? When we think of uh, the definition of love from a cultural perspective, what does that mean to you? Well, of course, you might say, oh, it means to be nice to people, it means to be sweet, kind, never confrontational. We don't, we don't want to do that, do we? Never upsetting anyone. Is that love? Probably, culturally, that's what love would mean. And and there are some good aspects to that. But is this what Jesus meant by loving? Because Jesus said to um, the Jewish leaders in Matthew 23, he said, Woe to you, scribes and uh, Pharisees, hypocrites! Do you think he was unloving when he said that so pointedly? Or was that a loving comment? Was that saying, here's where you're at. You need to get your mind in a different place. He said to Peter, uh, 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 an apostle he loved with all his heart, he said, get behind me, Satan. Ooh, it's pretty heavy. I'd never want to be called Satan. But he loved him enough to tell him the truth. The way you're thinking and the way you're processing right now is just like Satan wants you to. I think he said it in pure love. How about the crowds? Many of the crowds Jesus preached to. For example, in Matthew 17, 17, uh, Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to hear, to bear with you? And then he goes on to do a miracle. But he was being very forceful, very pointed with them. Twisted, faithless, generation. Do you think he said that without love? No, his heart is breaking for the crowds that are following him because they've been so ingrained in the cultural love of his day and the religiosity of his day, and they're missing what true faith in action looks like. Oh, one more. Apostle Paul, one of my favorite apostles, Apostle Paul wasn't the friend of a lot of people. He he didn't win a lot of uh, uh, congeniality awards. (laughs) Paul said this in Acts 13. He was dealing with this one guy, a magician, who was causing havoc as he was doing ministry, as Paul was doing ministry. But Saul, who was also called Paul, Acts 13, 9 to 11, filled with the Holy Spirit, interesting to note this, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him, and this is Elymas, the magician, and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And then he goes on uh, to uh, cause blindness. The Spirit of God, through Paul, causes Elymas to be blind. But those are fighting words. If, if, if you want to have a confrontation, those are confrontational words. Do you think Paul hated the man? Do you think Paul didn't like the man? He didn't like what the man did. But I I am absolutely convinced Paul loved the man to tell him the truth. And yes, to say it boldly and confidently with conviction that what he's doing was of the devil and not of God. What we see in these examples wasn't about hammering people with uh, biblical truth, And then claiming that they loved them. It was truth told boldly, but I'm sure with a compassionate heart. When we speak boldly, we must have the intention of winning that Christian or that non-Christian back into the straight and narrow path. But we must speak it in humility. We must remember that even our Lord Jesus uh, was the most humble human being ever, and yet he spoke boldly. So with all that as a kind of introduction, uh, let's look this morning at these verses that I've read from 1 John 2 and uh, encounter uh, some a powerful truth, first of all, which is, Uh, To be obedient to the commands of God requires us to love one another. There is no ifs, ands, or maybes about it. We are required to love one another. Think about that in your own life. Do you have a bent to being loving to others? Either Christians, brothers and sisters in Christ, or even the lost. And I think in these couple of verses that we looked at, we can draw four important truths. There's so much more in here. I was writing away this message and I realized uh, when I was about 15 pages in that I was had too much. <laughs> I figured that might be a little strenuous on you guys. So we're going to only look at four important truths uh, that um, we learn from John. And the first truth is Jesus' command to love one another is both old and new. So we've begun with talking about that. It's clear uh, that Jesus w- definitively wants us to have a loving heart, that our new nature should be marked by love. And first of all, we see this command as being old uh, in a couple ways. One is, it was old in that Moses taught it in the law, Leviticus nineteen eighteen. Uh, he says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. He just had told everybody that you should love the Lord God with all your heart, strength, soul, and mind. And then he said, then you should love your neighbor as yourself. It's the second greatest commandment that came first from Moses' pen from God's heart. And now, of course, that's 1,400 years earlier. So can we call this old? Yeah, I think that's old. But it was an old commandment in that, secondly, these believers had heard it from the very earliest days of their Christian experience. This was not something that 60 years after John had been with Jesus, he said, oh, by the way, I'd like to spring something on you. He had been teaching this from day one because he had been taught it from day one with Jesus. And in verse 7 of 1 John 2, he said, that you had from the beginning, the old commandment is the word that you have heard. That word has been heard over and over again. And if we look later in 1 John, go to chapter 3, verse 11, for this is the message that you've heard from the beginning, that you should love one another. He's not done yet. This is his theme in 2nd John chapter 5. He says, "And now I uh, in 2nd John verse 5, and now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new command, but the one we have heard from the beginning that we love one another." So it was an old commandment. No doubt about it. But secondly, it was also a new commandment in that Jesus himself has issued it as a new commandment. We just read it in John's uh, Gospel of John uh, verse 34, we said, "A new commandment I give you that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another." In other words, when Jesus taught this new commandment, Jesus put flesh on the bones of that commandment in that he was the example of how it should work itself out each and every day. He taught that it was a new commandment in several ways. It was new with the area of priority. Uh, Jesus, bringing this law of love to one another, of one another, uh, and loving God, tells us this commandment is the summation of the entirety of the gospel. So if anybody wants to know what the, gospel it is, uh, what the gospel is, you say it is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind and to love your neighbors as yourself. That's Jesus' quick and low-down summary of what the true gospel is. The fact that we need to remember that the gospel message is that Jesus loved us and died for us and then rose again but it's summed up in love. It's a priority. Secondly, it's new in its quality. Jesus just, as I said earlier, didn't just say let's do this or you do this. He showed it in his willingness um, uh, to go to the cross, to die a horrific death in our place on the cross. If that isn't love, I can't tell you what is. Greatest definition of, of love is to see Jesus on the cross and then to see Jesus raised from the dead as an acceptance of that love and that payment. It was new, not only in its quality, but it's new in its in its range, in its scope. Do you remember the parable of the good Samaritan? Uh, Jesus extended the definition of love even further. When people, you know, it's like, who's my neighbor? Who who am I supposed to love? because uh, the scribes and Pharisees had their definition, the people had their definition, Jesus had the right definition. Jesus extended that definition of neighbor to go beyond race or religion. A man on the ground, hurt, bleeding, and probably dying. The best way to show love is to say, I don't care what his race is, I don't care what his religion is, I don't care anything about him, except he's a human being, and I have the capability to help him to lift him up, to care for him in Jesus' name. And I tell you this morning, people, if you see someone on the road and, and, uh, or in your travels and you, you sense great need, love them by making yourself available to them. Maybe they need a little help, maybe financially, maybe emotionally. Whatever way, be sensitive to the neighbors around you and figure out how can I help that person and thereby show the real love of Jesus. So in its range, Jesus expanded it to everybody. Our love should be for everyone. And then fourthly, it was new in that the disciples' ongoing and relenting, unrelenting understanding of it. In other words, it was something every day that they could grow in and we can grow in. Grow in our understanding of what it means uh, that Jesus loved us and what it means and how we can love others. So we see that the commandment that we have is both old and it is new. So to be, the, to be. Uh, pardon me. Jesus' command to love one another is both old and new. But secondly, from the beginning, this is the next truth. From the beginning of your Christian walk, you should learn how to establish and maintain loving relationships. If you are a new Christian, one of the best things you can learn do is learn how to love others like Jesus, right from the beginning. If you are an old Christian like myself, we we just keep learning. We make it a priority to be loving followers of Christ. What John is telling us uh, all is that the commandment to love God and love one another is the essence of the gospel message and should be the essence of the Christian life. What makes up a really foundational Christian life is that anybody could immediately say, man, those people are such loving people. The Bridge Church is a loving church. They demonstrate it tangibly. And again, let's not forget, it's the word, as John said, that word which you have heard from the beginning. This is nothing new, but it is something we need to be reminded of on a regular basis. Paul teaches this concept of loving in a little bit of a different way. In uh, Romans 5, 5, Paul says that uh, the love of God is poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So God's love has been like a funnel, just poured into our hearts. But Then again, a little while later in another book, Galatians 5 and 22, he, he talks about the fruit of the Spirit. You remember that? Guess what the first fruit of the Spirit is? Love. Paul is saying, so what has been poured into you, you pour into others, because it is the first fruit of the Spirit. And as we pour the love of God that we've received out to others, God is honored, and the gospel message is preached loudly. You often wonder, I can't speak because I get frightened to tell people about Jesus and all that. Well, begin with pouring out the love of Christ that you've experienced, and it's a good start. We can get to the speaking part later, but begin with the pouring. Learning how to establish and maintain loving relationships. As some might say, it's not graduate level Christianity. It's Christianity 101. It begins where we began at that point where we received Christ and he poured his love into us. Today in this room, I know for sure that a lot of you did not come to faith uh, out of life circumstances where loving relationships were the norm. I know some of you had very difficult upbringings. And learning to love is a challenge. It's all right. As God... Pours his love into you in a variety of ways, meditate on that, remember that, reflect on that, and just imitate that. Even in the smallest ways, imitate what you've experienced by pouring into somebody else. And today in this room, there are some who might have come even from abusive family relationships: home, personal, abusive relationships. I can't tell you I know what that really feels like because God blessed me with such a loving mom and dad and and i just so thankful. But no matter what, when you come to Christ, he has given you all the power, all the resources you need to change your story and now to pour into others, not abuse, but love and care. And, And for all of us, this will require us to unlearn some awful ways of how we relate to others. To unlearn sometimes is very difficult, isn't it? When you've done something a certain way for a long time. Well, I think to relearn uh, is an important thing to do. We'll relearn how to love others. And we can, we can relearn and, and unlearn, uh, first of all, in how we think. Isn't it it's so, so true? so true. Bible teaches us that how a person thinks, so is he. Well, we need to relearn how to think of others first, not ourselves first. I know that has been always a... You know, I was raised as kind of like an only child in my home. My sister was 13 years older than me, and she was out of the house, so I was the king of the castle. When I wanted something, mom and dad were so gracious, I got it. My sister, many years later, said, oh, it bothered me so much. You used to get away with murder, I said, yes, I did. <laughs> because I was like an only child at home, nobody but me. But with that came that I was, all, for a long time in my youth, I thought it was always about me. I had to relearn how to think, unlearn how I thought, uh, you know, in the areas of my feelings, my rights, my needs. And a lot of us Christians have the same thing. We need to relearn, Unlearn how to think about our rights, our feelings, our needs. Secondly, uh, discovering that I, I can de- demonstrate the love of Jesus even with difficult people. You know that little joke at the beginning of the message? Well, that was often uh, referring to the difficult people in church, the frustrating people. And I need to rethink this. I need to learn unlearn some old habits of thought and action. You know, how how do I... How do I show love to those who are not easy to love? How do I practice love? Well, first of all, obviously, if you're a believer, you know that prayer works. Prayer is not a a, a motion, going through the motions kind of activity. It is a a time with God where God will will move his hand to honor and to bless you with answered prayer that is good and right. And I think that is for the Christian. We pray for the non-Christian that they might see the glory and the love of Christ that is seen in Jesus, that they'll come to know him by faith. We pray for the Christian that the Christian would become responsive to the, re- the revealed will of God and do the right thing and be blessed and, and enjoy their walk with Jesus. I want to give you a, a homework assignment. You got your pens out? I'm going to write. If you don't, go to the YouTube 1 Corinthians 13, 4-7. 1 Corinthians 13, 4-7. 1 Peter 3, 8-12. What I'd love you to do is go home and write those out on a little card. Not only write them out because they're a description of what love is, but read it each day this week. Pray it each day this week. And that prayer should include, God, change my heart, transform me. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 to 7, 1 Peter, 3 to 8. Great um, scriptures to remind us of what the love of God should look like in our lives. So we need to relearn how to loving, re, lovingly relate to others, but we then may need to relearn how to speak to one another. And right now we're getting a little bit warm because sometimes I think we all realize we don't speak well enough to each other. You know, uh, love is not frequently seen in how I speak. Sometimes I myself speak too harshly, speak too, too pointedly without compassion and love. Uh, some abusive speech is a pattern where they put down another person. Maybe that person isn't even in the room with them, but they tell somebody else something that would be abusive about that person. Um, we need to practice speech that builds up one another. And Paul says it so well in Ephesians 4:29 to 32. He says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up forgave you. Paul also said in Colossians 3.8, but, uh, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. I think uh, this should touch each, all, each one of us very deeply <clears throat> that it is so easy to let our speech patterns fall out of alignment with the loving nature that Christ gave us. Most church challenges begin with how we talk with each other, how we speak to one another. You know, it's really not about the color of the carpet that we fight over. It's really about how we speak to one another about the color of the carpet. It's really about our entitlements that we start to speak to one another in wrong and divisive ways. So we need to learn how to speak better to each other. Then ultimately we must relearn how to behave with one another. Learning to practice loving deeds. Paul said in Romans 12:9 to 13, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. I love this. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do you get that? You hear what he's saying? You try to be one up on your brother or sister in loving them. That's a good one upsmanship, don't you think? Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. And seek to show hospitality. In other words, show it by your deeds and your actions. Uh, Paul said in Ephesians 5, too, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love. Remember what walk means? That's a manner of life. Let this be your manner of life love. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering. And sacrifice to God. Are we fragrant offerings, sacrifice to God to each other? Would we pass the sniff test? <laughs> That's all I can think of. You know, we we spray a little cologne on, and we go, "Honey, how do you how do you like my cologne?" She goes, "Oh, you smell so good, you handsome man." I, do. I know you do. I think I appreciate that. But if God we was saying, I'm going to do a sniff test. And the sniff test was, wow, man, you've been such a loving follower of Christ. Bless you. You're walking in his nature. That's what we want to see What happen. Again, um, Paul talks about doing these things as being zealous for good works. It's Christianity 101. Uh, I think the third important truth that we discover in this little section is that our new relationship with Jesus Christ is central to practicing biblical love toward others. Uh, If you are here and you don't know Christ, you cannot do this like Christ is calling upon us to, to love others. You miss a new nature. You're still operating out of an old nature, dead, without any spiritual life. So you must be new And it says here in verse 8 of 1 John chapter 2, John says this old commandment is true in him and in you. This commandment that is old and new uh, is in him and in you. It is true in him because the Lord Jesus Christ is the greatest example of love in all the history of the world. He left the splendor of heaven, the glory of heaven, the presence of his Father and the Holy Spirit, and he came to this cruddy earth The sin-stained earth, to show us what true love really means, to give himself, to take our place on that wicked and cruel cross so that we might have a chance to love like he loves and to live forever with him. That, to me, is what love is all about. We need to practice that love because it's not only true in Jesus, he says it's also true in us. How so? Because we are in him. The beauty of the Christian life is a new identity. What was old is now new. And in Christ, all that he is, we can be. John uses the term, and we looked at this a little bit, abiding in him. That is, living a life that is marked by an intimate relationship with Jesus. Glorious truth of the New Testament is that we are joint heirs with Christ of all his riches. We are joint heir with him of all his nature now and and all those characteristics that he has, we can have. It just takes a lifetime of practicing them by the power of the Holy Spirit who dwells within us as well. Understanding your new relationship with Jesus Christ is central to practicing biblical love. If you don't get who you are in Christ, you will always struggle with loving yourself and loving others. Because he's in us and we are in him. So let's remember, it's all about our relationship with Jesus. The fourth and final point that I think uh, John wants us to understand, it's kind of implied in this passage, is that growing in love for others is a lifelong process. Man, it would be nice if it just happened overnight that we become these super loving Christians He says, verse 8, 2 John chapter 2, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. What is he really saying here? I think most likely John is referring to the dawning of the revelation of the gospel through Jesus Christ. Throughout the New Testament, you see that uh, we've come into a new age as Jesus has come and died on the cross. And so this is a new dawn. Uh, He's also saying... Uh, that becoming a Christian is a radical change of life. It's And he uses the term of going from darkness to light. It's radical. I don't know if you've been in a dark room for a long time and then you step out into a bright room, it's like, oh, my eyes. Well, that's what it's like for us to go from spiritual death to spiritual life. It's radical. But it's the best thing radical thing that could ever happen to anyone. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4, 6, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our, own, in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. This is, when we came to Christ, a light just burst forth in our, in our hearts. And then, again, Paul talking about our identity to help us to understand about loving others. He says in 1 Peter 2, 9, but you are a chosen race, a, ho- a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Listen up, for what purpose? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Our loving interaction with brothers and sisters, with our own families, is really our opportunity to proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of the darkness. So let me say it again. Becoming a Christian is a radical change from darkness to light where God opens your blind eyes to see something of the glory Of Jesus Christ and then as we continue to grow we see more and more and more of the glory of Christ the glory of the Father and the power of the Holy Spirit it's a process it doesn't happen overnight how we wish it would but God has said it's gonna take you time to learn what it means to be a child of mine and we never get it perfect here we never do it's a process. Like Paul said in a couple passages, different passages. First Thessalonians 4, he says, Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. In other words, not just do it more and more in um, uh, the amount, but also in quality. In other words, you're going to get better and better at this as you do more and more. Secondly, he says, it is my prayer that your love, your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. As we learn more about Jesus and we discern his w- will and way, we will love better and better those around us. We will love more and more like our Savior Christ. So what is John saying in these few powerful verses? One is love is critical. Uh, It is uh, the DNA of the believer. Uh, Second, love is never perfected here. Uh, When we fail, we pick up our socks and we take another kick at the cat. We love again. Or kick at the dog for all you cat lovers. Sorry about that. Another thing is the love that God is calling us to have for others. Let's not forget, it's a commandment. It's not about be, having a warm and gushy feeling. No, that difficult person may not be the one that you are uh, so drawn to uh, because of their personality or the way they interact. But it's commanded by, uh, by the Father to love them in spite of themselves. And so another thing, too, is some of you are here saying, I've got some difficult people in my life. They may be your family member. Husbands and wives, maybe you're finding it difficult to love your spouse right now. What do you do? You remember who you are. You, You remember that you're not left powerless. Holy Spirit is with you. And then you roll up your sleeves and you start loving by word, by thought, and by action. And I want you to know that I I trust that God will do a transforming work in your relationship. It will be a a transformation that will astound those who don't know Christ. And it will be a blessing to you as husband wife, a mother, father, brother, sister, Neighbor, friend. I said it near the beginning love is a verb. It's a word that cannot be constrained to idleness. God is calling us to action. Let's love as Jesus loves. Father, thank you today for the time we've been able to spend in your word to really just focus on this important subject this critical, essential aspect of what it means to be a believer and to show that we truly are a child of God. Help this church, these families, these individuals to demonstrate the love of Christ. And may I be an example as pastor of what it means to love people like Jesus loves. It's in his name I pray. Amen.